1: Well, good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and as always, certainly appreciate you tuning in and letting your friends and family know about the show as well. It's really been very helpful that you have told people about the show, and I've had comments, and I've even had people come up to me, even in a grocery store, and say how thankful they were. And so I really appreciate you letting people know about the show. And so today's show is called perfectionism and I want you to think about this about being perfect and what how egregious that is to God because God is perfect we don't even know what perfect looks like we just know what perfect isn't and so it's kind of arrogant for us to assume or aspire to be perfect so the way that I kind of came up with this is my husband and I were moving some things around in our house And he moved one thing, and it kind of toppled another thing over. And he said to me, he goes, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm trying to do this perfectly. And I said to him, without even realizing, I said, I don't need perfect. I need you. And so I want you to think about that. That's kind of what God says to us. He says, I don't need you to be perfect. I need you. And so it helps us to stop aspiring to something that will never occur, never occur. And what it does when we aspire to do something that will never occur, we get exhausted, we get worn out, and we don't appreciate the things that God is doing for us in that that moment or in that day. So God is saying to us, I don't need you to be perfect. I just need you. So what is perfectionism? Well, perfectionism is the belief that everything must be perfect all the time. And we know that that is never going to happen. So what I want you to think about, a perfectionist sets impossible goals and feels crushed when they are not achieved. Alternatively, someone who strives to do their best sets challenging but achievable goals. See, that's the person that feels good about themselves, that feels good about their life is the one that says, you know, I'm nev- I don't even know what perfect is. I've never seen it, right? And we've done shows on that before where it's, it's ludicrous for us to think we even know what perfect is going to be. We live in a fallen world. So pretty much everything that's not fallen would look perfect to us. So let's think about this. Let's, let's contrast these, these things um, between each other. So perfectionism believes that everything must be perfect all the time striving for excellence means the person understands that some situations call for perfection, such as performing surgery, but other situations do not. For example, choosing an outfit for that day. So let's think about this. Perfectionism also spends excessive time on trivial problems. So you can't even get past the last, you know, mistake that you made. And you're consumed with the shoulda, coulda, woulda, if only then. And so the person that's striving for excellence focuses time on the most important problems and lets other things, you know, well, if they're there when I have time, maybe I'll work on them. So think about this. Perfectionism sets impossible standards for success and then feels upset when they are not met. I'm I'm sure you have felt this way before. I have felt that way. And I really had to work on really resisting perfectionism. I really thought if I could be close to perfect or perfect with something, then I'd feel good about myself. I'd be happy. When really, all that endeavor did was show me how much I can't be perfect. It will never occur. So perfectionism sets impossible standards for success. But the person that is striving for excellence sets sets standards that are challenging but achievable and feels content when they are met. Let's look at this motivated by fear of failure, criticism, or rejection. That's perfectionism. Perfectionism will always give you those feelings. You'll be motivated by fear, you'll always worry it's not enough, you'll worry that you fail. You'll become very susceptible to criticism and rejection, and that will consume your life. The, ex- the person striving for excellency is motivated by the potential for success and happiness. It's the kind of thinking about things like it's good enough. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, I'm not saying good enough is what the surgeons do. What I'm saying is for most of the, our life and most of the things that we're doing we have to decide what is the, the issue that I'm going to certainly strive to come as close as I possibly can to perfect, knowing I never will reach it, and being satisfied with how hard I worked. So this, this issue of, wow, now I'm motivated by fear and failure, criticism and rejection, really needs to be balanced with motivated by the potential for success and happiness. And we don't really know what is exactly the most happiest point that we could be. We also don't always know what is perfect success. So the the perfectionist sees self only in extremes as either perfect or failure. And so this is a black and white thinking. Very dangerous for humans because it really puts you in a box and it begins to really work on your ego and your your um, self-esteem and it causes you to think I'm never going to make it I'm never going to make it and what I want you to think about is no you're never going to make it <laughs> so once I got over that and realized I am never going to make it I don't know what perfect actually looks like. I have ideas of m- me what I think perfect would be, what I think a perfect situation would be, a perfect outing, a perfect marriage, a perfect, you know, pet, whatever that would be. I have ideas about it. But truly, I've never really seen perfect. And probably if I did, I'd be standing before God and I might melt on the spot. So, You want to think about the person that is handling the desire for excellence sees themselves from a balanced perspective. They see both the strengths and both the weaknesses. Now, let's look at this. What are challenges that perfectionism brings? Well, you're going to have difficulty making decisions. Then you're going to be second-guessing or regretting your decisions. But the person that's not doing that See, they see this as an ability or an opportunity to learn. So the other challenge is they become avoidant of risks and new experiences because they're afraid of failure. So they don't want to try anymore. Self-esteem becomes dependent on meeting some impossible standard. It's this constant striving and striving. And it's exhausting. And, and the striving causes you to be so exhausted that you think you're even worse than you actually are. And so when we think about the idea, this, if I can inform you about perfectionism, I want you to recognize that perfectionism contributes to problems such as procrastination, stress, anxiety, and depression. See, if I'm a perfectionist. Guess what comes with that? I start to procrastinate because I don't feel confident. I keep pushing it off. I keep thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't know how to do it. Maybe the the issue keeps getting bigger and bigger. And so the idea that I have, I now have made much bigger, which is impossible to actually do. And so what happens is it's impossible, you know, for the perfectionist to do anything good, even if people love what they did. So perfectionism is also a personality trait in some ways, and it's caused both by environmental and biological factors. For example, how you, how, what you were like when, when your parents were up, doing the upbringing of you, when they were learning and helping you learn how to be the person that you want to be. And so if your parents were critical, then you're going to really immediately start to feel fear every time you try something new because you're afraid that if it's not perfect, you'll be ostracized or you'll be criticized. And so perfectionism is a personality trait, and it's caused both environmentally and some biological factors like upbringing and genetics. So despite being a personality trait, perfectionism really can be changed and should be and needs to be. So I want you to be thinking about this in terms of your life and saying, you know, If my intentions were to be perfect because God is perfect, I think he loves that. But it goes back to this idea that we don't even know what perfect really is. We only know what it's not. So we know that something might be better than what we had, but we've never seen perfect. See, God is perfect. And when we stand before God, if we don't have the covering of Jesus, we're going to just melt. We're going to fall apart. And so, this is why we want to really think about perfectionism as something that really comes from the enemy. Satan was perfect until he fell. So, he hates everything that is everyone and everything that might cause them to be a better version of themselves, one that helps God even more, one that loves deeper. A person that is able to really put their own ego aside and say, hey, let me help you with that, and and is able to take criticism, doesn't have to think that everything they do is perfect or they fall apart. And so let's really think about these things, because this is is tough. This is some tough things to do. So I want you to think about, in this next segment, we're going to be talking about how Satan works against God. And I want you to see if any of your behaviors are similar. I hear the whispers in my... Well, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you for tuning in. And I also really appreciate you telling your friends and family about the show and that you also are putting some of these things that you're learning from the show into practice. So I really appreciate that. Now, this show today is called I Don't Need You to Be Perfect. I Need You. And isn't that so clear as to what God would say? He would, say, he would be saying, I don't need you to be perfect. I have perfection. I need you. And this is a beautiful, just very encouraging thought that God gave me when I thought, you know, he doesn't have expectations on me that are unrealistic. He doesn't have expectations on me to set me up to fail. He really, really wants me to be the best version of me. And so how, how do we know <clears throat> that there's an entity that's working against us? Well, we know that say, Satan is working against God all the time. He's very angry with God because he competes with God. And so we have here in John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, You are the father, <clears throat> the devil, and you your will to do what the father desires is gone. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. (coughs) Excuse me. So think about this. How about in Revelations? This is uh, chapter 20, verse 10. It says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. I mean, this is some serious stuff. And I am so grateful when I read these things <laughs> that God does not want to do that to me. And so think about this. This helps. This is 1 Peter chapter 5.8. It says, So be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And this is why we want to think about, wow, Instead of blaming myself all the time, thinking that I'm just this terrible bad person because of what I think and what I do, what I don't do, what I should do, what I ought to do, you know, all of this, I want us to remind ourselves that God already knew this and that he already understands the situations that we are in and he is able to help us. So when you think about this, let, let's look at, at Isaiah. This is chapter 14, verses 12 through 17. And this is, what, this is kind of what it says. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of congregation. On the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So think about this. When God is talking to Satan, he's saying, you're aspiring to be me? You think you can be me? That's what he's saying. He's saying, you'll be brought down. You'll be in the lowest depths of the pit. And so this is important for us to recognize that we do have an adversary. It isn't a reason or an excuse. But it's one of those things to help us not be so hard on ourselves. To realize that not only are we fallen, but the whole entire universe is fallen. And so it makes it difficult to be good. We have to work harder. And so this is why... I want you to think about this. There, I was kind of just researching some things, and I came across this article that says Satan's ten strategies against you. So let's let's look at this because this is kind of this was really interesting to me. So one of the most sobering facts about the life is his our life is that all humans have a supernatural enemy, whose aim is to use pain and pleasure to make us blind, stupid. Miserable forever. And the Bible calls him the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. The accuser. The ruler of this world. And the God of this age. So I think if the only thing you remember is the last part of that verse. The ruler of the world and the God of the ages. That God is saying, you do realize you have an adversary that I battle against. That's how bad this adversary is. And he says, he's out of, the adversary is who prowls around like a roaring lion. He's seeking someone to devour. And yet in the most appalling and unwitting bondage, the whole world willingly follows the prince of the power of the art and the spirit of death. So at his most successful, he subjects, you know, many of us, to destruction and takes as many people with him as he can. And so when we think about this, we understand that God is sovereign over Satan. The devil does not have a free hand in the world. He is on a leash so that he can do only what God permits. So in effect, he actually has to get permission. As in the case of Simon Peter, when Jesus discloses. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has asked to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. And the case of Job, where the Lord said to Satan, look at Job, behold Job. He's in your hand. Only spare his life. So he's basically saying, hey, I trust Job. Do whatever you need to do to him. So when we have this unwitting servant, okay, God intends that part of the preparation for heaven to be a life of warfare with hell. He calls this a good warfare, a good fight. So Timothy 6.12 says it is good, not because we might be killed, which we might, but because we are free fighters that are refusing, refusing to be under Satan's dominion. So this is where we have to say to ourselves, satan lies and he is the father of lies now i've heard this since i was a kid so i know it to be true i just don't always remember it so when he lies he speaks according to his own nature he's a liar and the father of lies and here's what he does he's brilliant when you think about this he's and understand that satan is brilliant that's where i want you to get serious about hey I will not be condemning myself. My adversary is way bigger than me. And the only way that I'm going to live through this is by the blood of Jesus, of course. So I have to be realistic with myself. So if I'm beating myself up because I missed the mark, because I did something I know I shouldn't do, because I made a bad decision, I said the wrong thing, whatever it may be, you have to say to yourself, that's God's problem. He's going to help me with this. And if there are consequences, he's going to help me make it through the consequence so that I'm actually a better person for it. He won't ever harm me. So Satan masquerades in costumes of light and righteousness. He's very beguiling. It's easy to see why we would follow him. And this is why we have to say to ourselves, I know logically that that would be stupid. But the rest of me thinks, maybe I can get away with it. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about this idea of perfectionism. I hear the whispers. Well, Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. I'm so glad and thankful and grateful that you are listening today. And also, I want to just really thank you for sending the show to your friends and telling your friends and family about this particular show. So we are talking today about perfectionism. And perfectionism, I have to tell you, as much as it sounds like a noble endeavor, it is actually very sinful. And the reason that it is, is that when God created us, he already said it was good. What happens with the enemy of our soul? That would be Satan. He constantly wants to tell us that we're not good enough, and that there's something wrong with us that needs to be fixed. And somehow people are going to see it, and then we're going to be ostracized. Whatever the language it is that you hear in your head. And so, what God is telling us more than anything, and this is in James uh, chapter two, chapter four, verse seven, and it says that it says, "Resist the devil, and he will flee from you." Now, how do we do that? Okay. Here's how we did it according to Revelations 2.11. It says, They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they're loved, not their lives even unto death. They embraced the triumph of Christ by his blood. And they spoke the truth in faith. And they did not fear death. And they triumphed. Now, that's a big thing that I just read. But what I want you to think about is what does that look like for you? Okay, so for me, when, when James says, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Well, for me, that means that I need to say to myself, is this a fight that God has asked me to be in? Is he putting me in the position to fight with the enemy? Now, I'll tell you the truth. If, if he really wants me to fight it, he gives me a way to do it and I always succeed. If I do it in my own strength, yeah, it is not pretty. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work well. So you have to remind yourself that one of the things that the enemy is wanting more than anything is for you to think that you could be like God. And so the fall of Lucifer. I love this this passage. This is Isaiah 14, 12 through 17. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. On the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend from the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. And so what does God say? Yet you will be brought down to Sheol, the lowest depths of the pit. And this is where we want to say to ourselves, this is a, a part of learning how to be humble. And humility is not about being humiliated. It's about really knowing myself well and knowing what, what my weaknesses are, knowing what my strengths are, and how I use them. And that, do I use them for good or do I use them for evil? And so this is where we have to say to ourselves, I'm, I know that I can make mistakes and I have made plenty in my life. But what God is saying to me is you can overcome this because of me and I will help you. And even when I don't overcome it, he has not ever left me. So he's wanting me to overcome these things for my betterment, so that my life is actually more organized and runs nicely. And I don't have it complicated with so many things I've done that I feel bad about. So I want you to consider really thinking about how perfectionistic am I? Am I caught up in that? Am I striving so hard to be perfect? So then I think maybe I'll be okay. Maybe I'll be liked, maybe I'll be whatever, successful. I want you to recognize that God has already reconciled himself to you. He's not upset with you. He may be sad or frustrated that you make a choice that hurts yourself, but he will never, ever abandon you. So when you're considering this idea of perfectionism, I want you to understand what it actually is and how dangerous perfectionism can really be. Because perfectionism is truly straight from the pit of hell it's Satan's idea of being God so let's think about this and when we come back to the next uh, segment we're going to talk more about what to do and how to recognize when you are falling into perfectionism and where it will take you so this is really important for us to understand our internal life our internal world how we are thinking and I don't want you to take it for granted I want you to recognize that it has so much to do <clears throat> with the way that you run your life. It has so much to do with how much you enjoy your life. So so make sure that you join me in the, in the next segment, which is the last segment, and we will talk more about this idea of perfectionism. Well, Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you so much for joining in and for letting your friends and family know about the show as well. I truly appreciate that. So we are talking today about perfectionism and how do we recover from these moral failings and in these areas that we think somehow we're supposed to be perfect. And I, I really want to tell you that one of the, the biggest... Uh, awarenesses or insights that God gave me was when he told me that, kindly, he said to me, you know, Cynthia, I'm really glad that you're striving for that, but you don't even know what it looks like. <laughs> You've never really seen perfect. And so that really helped because I thought, wow, how, how do I recover from a moral failing? You know, how do I learn from my mistakes without beating myself up? And so this is an important part of recognizing that there is this idea of perfectionism that we all strive for. We we actually think that if we arrive, then all of a sudden we'll feel better and we'll be relaxed. When actually what you want to remind yourself is you've never really seen perfect. We have ideas of what perfect is, but we've never really seen it. And see, if we are striving for perfection, then we are actually kind of doing the exact thing that Satan has been doing all this time, is that he wanted to be better than God. He wanted to be perfect. And he's a created being, just as we are. So we can't really aspire to be God when he's the one that created us. We can't create ourselves. So I want you to think about what you can do. You can create things. I'm sure that you're very you know, whatever you like to do in your life and the things that you come up with. And we're all original in those ways. But we really can never make ourselves. We can mess up ourselves. So I want you to ask yourself, how do you forgive yourself? Do you do this as others have forgiven you? See, the most difficult person to forgive is us. And so we have the enemy of our soul consistently telling us and showing us all the things that we have done that are wrong, all the ways that we have messed up, All the things that we have missed. And this is where I want you to think about. No one likes shocking themselves because of something they did that was immoral or something that they, a a moment they missed out on and they can't get it back. And so I want you to say to yourself, can you get over yourself? Will you allow yourself to become better because of whatever the mistake was? And why do you waste all your time and energy covering it up and hoping that nobody finds it out? You see, Luke chapter eight seventeen says, For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to the light and made known to all. That's kind of frightening. And so when I was talking earlier in the show about this interaction that my husband and I had, He is um, traveling right now, and so he was bringing in all these suitcases and how he's going to, like, put his stuff in the suitcase and what he wants to take and all these different things. And as he was doing it, he dropped this thing, and it hit my foot. And he said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, you know, and I didn't mean to do that. All, you know, all these self-deprecating things. And so what it really reminded me of is – the fact that he said to to me, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, you know, I was trying to do this perfectly and, you know, and what I said to him, and it, it was very fascinating, is I said, I don't need you to be perfect. I just need you. And see, this is what God is saying to us. I don't need you to be perfect. I just need you. So as you think about that, I want you to be able to reconcile with yourself that this idea of having a really wonderful life is possible if we are doing it God's way. And so in Ephesians chapter 3.20, this is out of the Message Bible, one of my most favorite verses of all time, it says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. And he does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit, deeply, gently within us. And I love this verse. This is John 10, 10, It says, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and enjoy life and have it in abundance. So when you think about this, <clears throat> you recognize that Satan is attempting in so many ways To steal from us the abundant life. He doesn't want us to have an abundant life. And so when we think about what is actually abundance, and this is hard for us many times to figure out, because abundance is different for everybody. See, if Jesus came to give us this life, then we see that his life, he lived it abundantly. And it was not due to wealth or power or prestige or looks or popularity. What made his life abundant so we often feel like the above list is abundance. It's the things that we find ourselves striving for. And it's difficult for us to comprehend that this is not where happiness lies. And so this is a section out of the book that I wrote, God Wants You Truly Living, Not Walking Dead. And it was such an interesting awareness that I had because what I realized is that it's difficult for us to comprehend that this is not where happiness lies, actually perfectionism. And I thought how interesting it is to see those two words, happiness lies. This is because God is not trying to give us happy as a goal. He realizes that happiness is a natural outcome of an abundant life. The thief, on the other hand, realizes that if I pursue happiness, I will simply be achieving pleasure which only creates a bigger void in my life that must be continuously fed as it becomes bigger and deeper, screaming more loudly to be fulfilled. And all we need to do is really read the book of Ecclesiastes to see that the wisest man ever lived found the pursuit of pleasure to be meaningless. So what made the life of Jesus abundant? What, what, made, it, what made it so amazing Willie had a deep relationship with his creator, and it's because he was free. He had a deep and meaningful relationship with other people. He had a clear conscience, never betraying his own value system. He realized his value was based solely in being loved by his father. And lastly, most importantly, he had meaning and purpose. He didn't compare himself or contrast himself to other people whether the past, the present, or future. So the very thing he was uniquely created to do, he walked it out without apologizing. So what does this mean to you and me? Well, how am I able to let or allow God to infuse me with this life, this wonderful life that Jesus is talking about, the one that says I'm not comparing and contrasting myself to everybody? I'm not striving all the time for some idea that's out there in the future that I'm hoping will happen, It's being in this moment. So it's the abundant life that he professes to offer. And what is the one thing Jesus did that had more power, offered more life, and continues to be the defining difference between he and any other person or entity? Well, this is a tough one. He was willing to die. He was willing to die for others, us. He was willing to die to himself. And you think about the great temptation he had to go through he was willing to die for his god so this issue of what are we willing to die for in order to be free and this is how we we really think about wow jesus went through all these temptations to make sure that he could manage and have a full life here on earth And if he can have a full life here on earth, that means he achieved it and he can give it back to us. So abundance, this is being more than enough. That's what this means. It's more than enough. It's without being excessive though. So it's brimming, it's bulging, it's bursting, it's chock full, it's crammed, it's fat, it's filled, it's jammed, right? It's loaded, it's packed, it's saturated. It's overflowing, See, this is only a glimpse of what God has in mind for us when he uses the word abundance to describe the life he came to give you. God always goes first. He always sets the course. See, he is the way. And so apparently this means something has to die in your life in order to make room for the true abundant life God is offering you. So many times this thing that we have to let die has a lot to do with perfectionism see our intentions are not bad our intentions are to be the best god the best version god would want us to be and so this is how god inspired us when 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 he was doing this whole entire miracle for lazarus when he he raised lazarus from the dead what he was doing is he was showing all his people what he was able to do, the capacity that he had. He wasn't saying, this is the way to heaven, is to come in front of me and die so that I can bring you back to life, so that you can accept Jesus. That's not how he's working. So I want you to consider that simple doesn't always mean easy. So when we think about what has to die in order for for me to live, for me, it was a lot of perfectionism. I really thought if I could do things perfectly, then I wouldn't have any pain. If I could become perfect somehow, everybody would love me, everyone would like me. I wouldn't have to work so hard. And this is why that interaction I had with my husband when he apologized for dropping one of the the pieces of luggage, and I said to him, I don't need you to be perfect. I just need you. And see, that's different than I just need you to do this, okay? I was saying to my husband, I don't need you to be perfect. I need you, however you are, in whatever way you are. And so we know that through Philippians, this is chapter 3, verse, uh, verses 10, it says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And this is what we're doing. We're saying, hey, God, I don't want to keep putting things into my life that are actually killing me. I want to be dying to those things that I think help me. And I find out that they really don't help me. They actually hurt me. And this is the problem that we have living in this time where everything is available to us, even still now in our own country. We have so many things that are available to us. We have so many restrictions that have been taken away. We actually can do whatever we want to do, and I don't even think we're going to jail anymore, right? And so I want you to think about this. What kind of life do I want to have? What kind of life do I want to be known for? What kind of life is, I, is going to be pleasing to God? And how can I help the people that He loves in the midst of that. And so it's not about being perfect. It's about recognizing your own capacity. It's about recognizing your own talents and your gifts and why you were created to begin with. See, God doesn't create things and then go, why did I make that? I don't know what I was thinking. He doesn't do that. He thinks about you. He plans you. He He purposes you. He puts you together in your mother's womb. And He makes sure that you are going to find the reason that he created you. So think about these things. I think it's super important for us to go back to some of these teachings and remind ourselves about perfectionism and the the real death that comes with perfectionism.
0: We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from her website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments About today's show. Now, be your own best version.